Good day, everyone. This is Father Christian here. I'm a priest and a rabbi with my partner in crime, my partner in theology, my partner in life. That's not a weird. Uh, rabbi Durbin from Temple Bat Hayam. Uh, we are ready for another fun episode here and a great one uh, because uh, we're bringing on an awesome guest to talk about women in the Bible. But specifically, what do we do with the ratio of women to men, which is way off. It's like 8% of the characters in the Bible are women, 8%. So why is that? What's going on there? What do we do with that? Uh, and we're going to parse that out because this is Holy Scripture. This is the word of God. But what is God saying to us? Uh, and how do we deal with man's imprint, literally M-A-N, uh, imprint upon upon the Bible? Uh, but uh, we're going to get into this. Uh, Reverend Becky Zartman will be calling in. She is the canon uh, for evangelism out in Houston, Texas. Uh, so it's going to be a great show. Rev, uh, Rabbi Durbin, have you had your coffee? Are you ready to go? We don't want to put these people to sleep. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm born ready. Born ready. Rabbi Durbin is born ready. Seven, eight, nine. Our producer is ready to roll. All right, everyone. Please go on to your podcast and subscribe, and please share this with three people who get into interfaith ministry. Uh, we like to share this uh, community. We want to grow our community. We want Jews, Christians, and hopefully soon Muslims all talking together about theology and about the, the good books that we all follow, and uh, just keep this conversation happening and growing into the one God we love. All right, everyone. Peace and enjoy this episode of Women in the Bible, Part One. this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, everybody out there in Stewart, Florida. This is Father Christian Anderson on a priest and a rabbi. Next to me is the most handsome rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin in all of his hair. We are so excited for today's episode because we are talking about the women in the Bible. The women in the Bible. And according to, you know, many scholars would say you got roughly 8 to 10% of the characters in the Bible are women. Some would say about 7%, depending on how you look at a name. Uh, we'll get into all that and what that means. But first, l l we're going to have some callers coming in. We want you to call 772-220-9788. And of course, two clergy men can't sit around and talk about the women in the Bible without clergy women. And so we'll be having potentially Rabbi Rose uh, call in and also Reverend Becky Zartman. Um, so first off, good morning, Rabbi. I'm so glad you made it so I didn't have to do this show by myself and make a fool out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I get from you was a laugh. That, that's all you get from me this morning. That's okay. So were you up all night with your daughters? Is that why you look so tired? What's going on here, buddy? 
Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a late night. It was a late night. We, uh, my, my oldest just celebrated her birthday on Tuesday. Um, so she turned 10. We're, we're, uh, we had a great little celebration for her. It's been a great week. And, uh, my week kind of caps off with, uh, not only Shabbat tonight and tomorrow, but certainly with, um, the the added advantage of having to see you on Friday mornings. Okay, so let's get you a coffee and zip up because people, I don't know if you know this, but your radio voice right now is going to cause people to crash your car because you're putting them to sleep. You're just like, oh, man, dude, you, you got to get your radio energy going, bro. We're not just sitting around like eating pancakes, talking about life, you or me, man. We got people who are like wanting... They, they just came from the get up and go show here on 1450 WSTU. And they want to, so, they want to go. They want to go. go, man. They don't want the rabbi just lulling them to sleep, dude. This is not your sermon. Come on, man. Let's go Let's do this. Let's, Let's do, do this. this. So, so, so grab your coffee. All right, everyone. So check this out. We want you all to get, we want your insight too on all this, because this is, um, I wouldn't call it a, a, a hot topic, but it's a topic that I don't know if we talk about enough um, because it's Holy scripture and you, you don't want to touch Holy scripture. Uh, but as we know in the 20th century and the 21st century, allowed us to, to really go into critical analysis of Holy scripture and to look at the human imprint, um, what was going through the editors when they were choosing the books and, um, creating, uh, the books, yes, inspired by God and God worked through them. Uh, but I think we could step back here and this might be uncomfortable for some folks because, uh, it is Holy scripture. But we, we do need to acknowledge something. It, it might be safe to say, Rabbi Durbin, that the editors and those who received the word of God and placed it down and started to write it were all men. Do you think would you, all of your training in seminary, and I'm looking at mine too, had, did you ever hear any scholarship that would suggest that, that, that uh, the opposite, that there was either equal men and women uh, writing the actual word down, or was it mostly those who were interpreting the word from God and putting it down on paper uh, were mostly men? Well, I mean, I think you have to go back to tradition, right? I think you need to go back and understand you know, the Bible in and of itself. Who wrote the Bible, right? And, you know, we have so many, you know, varying degrees as to who wrote the Bible itself. Did Moses write the Bible? Did Ezra, the world's first scribe, write the Bible? Did God write the Bible? Now, as a Reformed Jew, I take, I take the Torah seriously. I do not take it literally. I subscribe to the understanding that the Torah is divinely inspired by God, but written by men. And I think when we understand that, then we're best able and best equipped to actually go through you know, parts of, of, of our tradition or parts of the Bible to start unpacking you know, why are women, as you said, seven, eight, 10%, right? Why are, you know, hundreds of thousands of men named? Um, maybe there's nothing but the name, and yet women go vaguely silent, or there is very less, not as represented. Um, but, I, you know, for me, I take the Torah as divinely inspired by God, but written by men, which means in that way that there was something that they wanted to put forward uh, in their agenda or, you know, through, through teaching. 
So you said by men. So you're not just using men as an all gender type thing. You're saying literally by men, the gender of man. There weren't a lot of women scribes around those days sitting around um, interpreting the word of God that had been passed around. I, 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 okay, so, so you're shaking your head yes on that one. All right. So the other part of that I want to bring is that when Holy Scripture was written, uh, especially for it now, correct me, this is where my Hebrew scripture training in, in uh, there you go. Drink that coffee, buddy. Come on, let's get the Durbins go. Let's get, come on, Derby. He's drinking his coffee. Now he's going to be rambling today. Um, when I can speak from Christian scripture, but for, for, for Jewish scripture, Hebrew scripture, you had these stories that were being passed orally for quite some time. And then eventually said, hey, we got to put these down on parchment. We got to get these down on paper because we've been passing these stories of the Mosaic law, the Deuteronomic law, but let's get this down on paper. Um, so when that happened, uh, do, you, do you remember what the time, how much time passed or when that kind of process started saying, we've got to now finally put this down on, on, on paper. I think it's important so, for us to just so, mark this. And, and so I, I think what you're, what you're alluding to, and I think for some of our listeners who may not be familiar from a Judaic standpoint is that on Mount Sinai, uh, God gave us two different Torahs. One is the written, right? We have that. We call it the Sefer Torah, the scroll of Torah, right? We have it in many synagogues. It's in an ark, right? It's the scroll form of the five books of Moses. The second is that God also gave us the oral law. And the oral law, as you suggested, was passed down from generation to generation. So we did not lose the stories. We didn't lose a certain part of our history and certain part of our connections to God. Uh, that what we call the oral tradition is what we call in Hebrew, uh, the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah was redacted, codified, kind of set the parchment, so to speak, around the year 200. So we're talking about 1800 years uh, that we've had this oral tradition. Now, of course, the, uh, or at least a written oral tradition. And of course, when the rabbis started uh, expounding upon this oral tradition, you have what they call the Gemara which is additional commentary to what we call the Mishnah itself, the oral law. Now you add the Mishnah and you add the additional commentary and you get what we call the Talmud, right? Written in two different areas, one in Babylon, the other in Israel. Um, and, and that forms the basis of really of the oral law itself. But I think to understand the, the um, um, uh, intricacies with, with women and, 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 and their silent voices, I think we need to go back to, you know, the source. I think we need to go back to Genesis chapter one. Um, and I'm always amazed. Um, I know that when I, uh, you know, when I read it and, you know, th th there's a lot of things that came out of it that I think were actually really uh, eye-opening. I mean, if you ask most people around the world uh, or of a Western faith, who came first, man or woman, I'm pretty certain you would get an overwhelming resounding answer, which is man came first. God caused man a deep sleep and took piece of his side, took dust of the earth, breathed into it and fashioned woman. And yes, uh, you know, I'm not negating the story. I mean, the story is great. Uh, you know, it, it sets the stage for Adam, Adama, the earth, and Kava, Eve, the mother of all life. Now, that would be great if that was the first story of creation, but it's not. That's the second story of creation. For the first story of creation is that God created man and woman together, right? In some form, we would say God created the first human beings as a hermaphrodite, right? Both male and female sex organs, right? And then God split them, right? 
man on one side, woman on the other. Now, this woman, I should mention in Genesis chapter one, is never named. She's never named. So our tradition, Jewish tradition, goes really deep into it. And we have what we call <coughs> uh, Midrash, which I know that, you know, Father Anderson, you are familiar with, right? The, the stories, the parables, the uh, um, writings that the rabbis would write to fill in the gaps that the Bible did not make abundantly clear. And one of the Midrashic stories is about this woman, uh, this, this first unnamed woman. And the rabbis go into it and talk later and say, actually, she is named. And she's named only once in the entire Bible. And that happens in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and her name in Genesis chapter 1, although not named in Genesis, is Lilith. Now, for those that may not be familiar, right, we have, or I don't even know if it still exists anymore, Lilith Fair. Lilith Fair, right. Uh, I don't know if that exists. I know it existed when I was in, like, high school, college. Back uh, when you and I were listening to Dave Matthews Band, yeah. Yes, yes, and and doing the the the, the white man overbite uh, two step. Um, yeah. But beyond that, you know, there's something about the story that is really powerful. And the story goes, and I'll just kind of sum it up and, and paraphrase, is that God comes before man and woman and says, "You are to order the world." Right? So man comes forward and says, "You know, water, air, bird, you know, duck, you know, goat, whatever." Starts ordering the world. And woman uh, is not, does not do any of it. So she goes to what we call Sheol, which is the underworld, right? And I know we talked about this before, the underworld. In Judaism, it is not hell as we understand it today in, say, a, a Christian understanding. It is more of... Uh, purgatory. Purgatory. So she stays there, and God appears and says, go back to your man, right? Kind of that famous biblical adage that says it is not it is not proper it is not fitting for man to be alone and she comes back and says but god you told us both to order the world equally there's no equality man makes me feel subservient this that and the other i won't go back and god goes if you don't go back you are destined to stay in this underworld forever and she says in so many words better me stay here than go back to him and then what you see in Gen at the end of Genesis chapter 1, starting Genesis chapter 2, is that God then reorders the world again, creating man and woman, to which woman is actually formally named as Chava, as Eve. Now, the first story lends itself... No, but hold up, hold up. You need a midrash. This is a thing that I just don't... You can, you have this flexibility as a Reformed Jew, or it's like I guess any Jew. You all can just whip out a midrash and be like, let me explain this, and it becomes sacred text. I do that... I'm looked at as, uh, um, you know, a, a blasphemous heretic. You know, if I'm adding holy word, a tail bearer, some, yeah, something. It's not good. You know, they'll, they'll kick me out of the church. But but so so this, so that's a good explanation. But man, what we got though, especially as Jews and Christians for this show, all we got is the scripture, the holy scripture. So I like that explanation. That makes sense. It's great. But, so but if, we go, if we go to the Bible, right, let, let's go, let's go to, you know, at least from a Judaic understanding, right, the first Jews on, on, on earth, right, Abraham and Sarah, we know that Abraham had three wives, okay, the first obviously being Sarah, to which is named, there's a lot of uh, material, a lot of understanding about her. The second is, uh, of course, the, the wife that he takes as a maidservant, as a slave, 
um, an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Hagar produces Abraham, uh, his first son, being Ishmael, kind of the bloodline of the Islamic people. And then, of course, Sarah gets jealous of all the attention and all of this uh, great stuff that Abraham has with his wife, uh, uh, with, with, with Hagar. And then, of course, Sarah does uh, have a child at 90 years old. She calls him Isaac, right? He who laughs. Um, and Sarah herself uh, uh, has that interplay. Now, after, after uh, she gets jealous, and of course, she banishes Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness. God then appears to, uh, to, uh, to Hagar and says, don't turn your back on your son, right? I will make a mighty nation. Now, that's kind of the end of what we hear about Hagar. And then, of course, Abraham has the call with Isaac, takes him up to the mountain, almost kills him, right? They go down to Beersheba together. They never speak to one another again. And then suddenly, curiously enough, Genesis chapter 23 says, and Sarah lived 127 years. So Sarah dies. Now, after the death of Sarah, we find out that Abraham then takes for himself a third wife named Keturah. Now, the sages look at her and say, who is this woman? There's nothing that we know about her. But yet our, our understanding says that what Abraham did was he went back and found Hagar with her new name being Keturah. So that seemingly, although Abraham had three wives, he only really had two being Sarah and Hagar. But interestingly enough, that, 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 that name, Keturah, that she's named, I mean, it's quite significant. I think we have to understand that when women are named in the Bible, they're named for a specific reason, right? Why are women's voices not as prevalent as male voices within the, the, the gambit of, 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 of our tradition? I mean, let's look at your tradition. No, no, I but mean, just keep, keep, keep on going with that, though. That's the whole reason why we're here. So why? Why is that? So, so you just took us from Genesis and we're all in our at Abraham and Sarah, and we have about four women to speak of so far. That's it. And we've had plenty of men to talk about. So why is that? Is that just because we've always been living in a patriarchal society? There's been very few societies that have been egalitarian in the history of the globe. Um, you can, uh, but but so so is that is that the reason? It's just the human imprint that we have distilled the uh, that Genesis one of saying, "Let me make man and woman in my image," and we have distilled it through our cultural lens and our sociological lens and said, okay, great. And since we've decided that that the man leads, that is how we're gonna, because I really don't think, I think that when, when, when I read Holy Scripture and um, that, that, especially from Genesis one, that first, the first story of Genesis, uh, that we are made in his image and we are equal to him, that, that I think a lot of this is through the, through, through, this is gonna get some people upset, but we are interpreting God's word. But you just said it right there. Kim, why didn't you say her? We don't for God? Yeah. Well, I also, are, let me put this out. The English language only has a binary. We don't have a third. Some other languages have a third neutral pronoun. We don't. So we have decided as, as, as the English speakers that him is used, probably because we're, yes, we're, it's, a, it's a patriarchy, that, that we've decided that him is the one but i think now in scholarship her is perfectly acceptable when, when but, uh, but i think i think it's also interesting as you said because it goes back to language and it goes back to linguistics right i mean at least in hebrew scripture right it's very specific in the hebrew um i mean it says you know he you know in hebrew it's it's who is he he is she 
right? It's just the, the elongation of a yud to a vav that will actually change the gender from male to female. Granted, we don't know, we know that God is not male nor female. We refer to God in male terminology. However, I think that, you know, you've said something that's really significant, which is if we subscribe to the understanding that the Torah or the Bible was written by man, divinely inspired by God, that we live in a patriarchal society, that these were, these were issues that, that men wanted to put forward, these stories, these, these, this genealogy, right? If you look at it from a perspective, women were never highly valued or highly prized. If you were, if you were a family and you welcomed in a daughter, that was a burden on you. You're talking I mean, about a Semitic family. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're so so if we're talking from soci from a sociological or anthropological context, anywhere within the Middle Eastern Mediterranean region. Sure. Right. Okay. Right. Women women became burdens because I as a father I would have to produce a dowry for them. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that would happen, right? Um, you know, and and I think we also have to look at women's roles. I mean, women's roles given, you know, in, in the Bible were very domestic. I mean, it was rearing children. It was, it was you know, feeding them. It was that, that whole domestic work uh, that became important. And men went off to go to war. Men went off for acquisition. You know, there's all these other things that, 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 that occurred. But, I mean, it's, it, I mean, I think it's a great question, right? Why are, why are our women's voices as silent as they are? And when they are vocal and they are present, they're real present. I mean, you know, we look at look at Hannah. It's exceptional. Prayer. It's exceptional what they do. Yeah. So you don't really have just like chill average like you don't women. Have when they show up, they're either like they're they're either like countercultural, changing things forever, um, or they're a major thorn in the side for someone. You know, and that but happens in Christian scripture too. Absolutely. As you just said, you know, sometimes they they are revolutionary yes. in, in how they do things. Look at the daughters of Zelophehad. I mean, yes. they changed. <laughs> They changed the culture and the understanding that had never been there before. Yeah, go back to that, man. That was, that was one of my favorite stories when we had we had a a, a Christian feminist um, on, or what you know, she was she was a uh, oh she was Anglican priest out of Canada. We'll, we'll get the name for you. and We'll put in the show notes. But she talked about the daughters of Zelophehad. Just tell our audience about this. This is this is I, I never knew this one. I'm embarrassed. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great story. I mean, the story is, is that, you know, this father only has daughters. And of course, when, when, when he dies, where does the inheritance go? Because he has no male heirs. And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed for his daughters to become the heirs to, you know, to, to, to what he had, what he was bequeathing. Um, and it had never been done before. And the daughters got the inheritance. Um, and I just think something like that of, of changing the culture. I mean, you know, even if we go medieval, which is going a little bit beyond, you know, the scope of the Bible, you have, you have one of our sages by the name of Rashi. Now, I don't know if people are familiar. Rashi lived in France. Uh, he was an incredible commentator, uh, but he lived about 800, 900 years ago. And Rashi had three daughters. And Rashi had said that his daughters wanted to lay what we call phylacteries, right? To fill in. And he had said, show me where it does not where it says that a woman may not and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he said there's nothing there that says a woman cannot it says that a man is required a woman if she is obligated and she feels that she would like to can do so so 900 years ago rashi's daughters lay to fill in i mean that was also that you know, i mean it's changing the makeup of of how we see and how we understand things traditionally I mean, it's just remarkable. 
All right. All right. So listen, we've kind of set the stage. We haven't even dipped into Christian scripture yet of the idea that as Christians, we believe when God came to earth, he did come as a man in the form of Jesus Christ. Um, and then he calls his, 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 his team together of leadership. They're all men, but yet there's women who are, who are on the front lines. And we could say that the first believers uh, were women with Mary and Elizabeth. They were right in. They believed right away. Um, the, the ones who stayed at the cross uh, when all the men fled were the women. The ones who went to the grave and the first who learned about the resurrection were the women. While all the men freaked out, ran away, put themselves in an upper room and were worried about losing their lives. Um, so this, 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 this sort of continued pattern of women not being in the forefront however when they do show up they're doing major revolutionary things that make the male characters kind of look a little silly um and uh and, and the church has uh with the especially in the catholic church said listen we, we can't hide the, the the feminine quality the power of the divine feminine and that's where we see the virgin mary comes in um and that's where we have jesus referring to i'm the i'm the mother hen um in the scripture uh but let's listen you've heard a lot of men talk about this and at the, at the break we're going to come back take a break when we come back reverend becky zartman will be joining us um she actually was the person who uh, who was in charge of teaching all of us first years greek am at uh, Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, so she is well-versed in Holy Scripture. She is a fantastic priest. She'll be joining us. We're going to take a quick break, be back, and uh, with part two of the women in the Bible here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to part two of Women in the Bible with a Priest and a Rabbi radio show. Uh, this is Father Christian here with Rabbi Durbin. If you missed the first half of the show, you can always catch the podcast, which is on a Priest and a Rabbi podcast. You can search that on any major platform. So please go subscribe, watch all of our previous shows, leave comments. Um, you can say what you want to be heard. Give us topics. We love engaging with you. Uh, so we're continuing on with this idea of what to do with, the tr with just the facts. The facts in the Bible that uh, some scholars are going anywhere from between five to ten percent of the characters in the Bible are women. So if you're doing a, a census bureau, uh, that that that's pretty low. <laughs> you don't, there's not a lot of women being named in the Bible. What do we do with that? This is holy scripture. This is the holy word. 
are we saying, is that what God wanted? Or are we saying maybe the editors and the writers were all men, so it was seen through a male lens, but then we're giving some critical analysis of the Holy Word. What did we do with this? Um, we, today, you know, we've been talking just Rabbi and I in the first half of the show. This second part, we're bringing in Reverend Becky Zartman, a wonderful priest who actually helped teach me biblical Greek. Uh, but but she, but but don't put that upon her. And and that it was it was uh, she is beyond all that. But she has been involved with many different ministries. A very wise woman. Um, she was one of the smartest women in seminary when we were there. One of the smartest students. Period. So uh, I think we got her on the line. Uh, Reverend Becky, are you there? Hi, <laughs> Christian. There How she are you? Is. Wait, uh, Evan, can we turn her up? I can I can hardly hear. Her. Oh no. Let's see, Evan, what do we got over here? Right now, Becky is a little quiet. Can we try again? Okay, it's a little bit better, a little bit better. Uh, all right, so Evan, you can keep on playing with her volume. That'd be great. She's a little, she's a little silent on our end. Um, all right, so Becky, welcome to the show. Is that, is that intentional? Exactly. No, not Evan. at all. <laughs> Are you trying to make a point here, Becky, that this is just how it always is? <laughs> that they turn up the Absolutely lights? Absolutely not. Women should be much louder than they are. <laughs> uh, so Reverend Becky, it is so good to have you on here. Welcome to the show. Um, just, just, can you, uh, give us a little, uh, just sample, just the Twitter, the Twitter intro to, to your ministry right now. Sure. So I am the Canon for evangelism and formation at Christ Church Cathedral in Houston. Cathedral means it's the seat of the Bishop for the diocese of Texas. Uh, evangelism means sharing the joy that we found in the relationship that we have with God, and formation is about nurturing that relationship with God. So that's what I do. So this is awesome. So so forgive me for not introducing you as Canon. Canon and, and, and <laughs> Rabbi is very interesting. He's very he, he is an Anglican. He well, he used to went to an Anglican school, and we've had a couple canons on here. So uh, he always likes to come in with the boom, the canon boom, uh, every time we've had a canon. So Rabbi, can you give a canon boom for uh, Canon Sartman? Boom. Boom. All right. Uh, so you're used to being in these situations as now a canon. You speak for the bishop and you also speak, uh, you, lead, you lead the charge of evangelism. How do you approach this as a, as a priest, but then also as a female priest? Um, how did you, did you ever struggle with this reality that there are so few women in comparison to men named in the Bible? Has that ever been a, let me start there. Has that ever been a, a struggle for you? Uh, well, I mean, here's the thing. When they do show up, they do amazing things, right? Yes. And actually, like, we wouldn't even have the New Testament at all if it wasn't for Mary. Boom. So, you know, like, boom, when we think right there. <laughs> <laughs> and so like we have to have we have we have like we like the ministry of jesus is like contingent on women so yes while it's frustrating that we don't hear their voices and their own stories and their own powerful experiences of god um the way that we get to hear about our male counterparts quite a bit right um there's still so much space and in the last few decades, there's been a huge burgeoning of scholarship around the study of women in scripture. And that has been, and, and that's what I got to be raised in. And that's a gift to me. Okay. So, so, uh, I see that, that so many, so many questions I want to ask you, Canon. Okay. Uh, 
But but okay, so would you agree? And I'm just thinking of our of our sisters and brothers who are more uh, let's say literalists and fundamentalists with Holy Scripture. That Holy Scripture it is divine. It is the Word, and there's no questioning it. Um, do what do you do? Why would the Holy Scripture then be inspired and have this ratio that is so far off? Is it because that's how God intended? Say hey, let 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 the men be more do the talking and this now we get to complementarianism where the men have their certain roles and the female have their certain roles and that's they complement each other and we make one wonderful holy family or are we saying that the people who who received the word from the holy spirit and wrote the word of god um, down were probably all men so therefore it is kind of told through their lens but now we're saying the bible has been told through only one lens so how do we parse this? Well, out? the Bible's not told through only one lens. So, like, there are four different gospels, and they don't agree with each other. Yeah. So, That's like, right. already within the, within the text itself, you have this multiplicity of meaning, right? Um, just by the sheer sheer uh, how it, they don't agree with each other, and what it means is we get to enter into dialogue with it because Scripture's already talking to each other. Um, and so we get to then enter into that conversation, not only with the people in our generation, but the people in the generations before in like a history of interpretation. Um, and unfortunately, that history of interpretation and even the writing and the formation of the canon itself has taken place in patriarchal societies. And so um, it's going to reflect that. But what I love about scripture is that you can't keep the women down. Like, they shouldn't be in there at all, but they are. And, and we hear their voices, and we, we see their experiences, and, and that allows us to enter, enter into that reality. Like, for instance, um, you don't make rules if someone's not breaking them, right? So if you've got a thing about women not speaking in church, guess what? It's because there are already in the earliest church, women speaking in church. And we know that's true because of Paul's letters. No, you're right. I mean, Paul seems to be speaking out of both sides of his mouth. In some communities, he's saying women sit in the back and don't say anything. And then another community, he's saying, hey, you should be a preacher. And, and some would say a deacon. And so it seems like he's trying to like read the context. Like these people over here are not ready for women to be in leadership, but these people over in this country are ready for it. Um, and so he's being sort of a contextualist or more of a politician and, and, and speaking to people. But you're right, there's there's this uh, give and take, but he, he gave these rules because someone was speaking up and someone was getting upset in that early Christian church. They weren't church. even just speaking up. I mean, Lydia was bankrolling things and running a house church. Chloe, like Paul talks about Chloe's people. He's like, hey, Corinthians, I heard about what's going on from Chloe's people. Like that's how he recognizes that he names them after their leader, who is Chloe. Chloe. Uh, Junia is an apostle. Uh, Phoebe is named outright as a deacon. And so when you get into the letters that we know are Paul, those six main ones, um, what we see is women in leadership, and he's having conversations with them. Do, do you, uh, do you, would you agree that whoever received, whether people think it's Moses or the Mosaic tradition that wrote down the original scrolls of, of Scripture, were probably men? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd okay. like to, like, I, like, write fan fiction in my head sometimes where that's not true. But um, for the most part, yes, unfortunately. 
um, so like the earliest limit, we do you think some hmm? of some of the reception does that limit what was received from from the spirit what made it to paper because it might have only been through one gender uh, um I don't know I mean here's the thing I'm a little more orthodox on this and I have to like here's the thing about scripture I have to wrestle with everything that's in there like my guiding imagery about scripture is actually one from the Hebrew scriptures, which is Jacob at the Jabbok, right? Like I have to uh, wrestle in the dark. I don't know as much as I want to know, but if I don't let it go, it might wound me, but it will bless me. And so even though it's not perfect and it's not the way that I'd want it and like people are saying, oh my God, like Holy Scripture is a perfect, it's not perfect. Like we, it's not perfect. Like, like New Testament uh, text criticism. I think I taught you this Christian, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> the idea of like how we hand down, like, so even if we had the original copies, like, which we don't, um, they've been changed over time. Like people make mistakes as they transmit them. And the ones that we have are filled with these tiny little typos. Uh, which like says to me, like, okay, there's like, there's a human hand in here. It is inspired by God. God has a part of this. And also the scriptures and the creation of scriptures, what gets into the canon, what we decide to be scripture or not, um, is, is deeply human, inspired by human. Paul didn't think he was writing scripture. Paul thought he was writing letters to his right. people. Right. Right. Like if, if you would have said, Paul, dude, Paul of Tarsus, like, we need you to write some scripture for us. Could you write some theology? It would look totally different than these highly contextual. We're reading someone's mail and we don't even have the return mail, right? Like we don't know what the context was. So we have to, we're wrestling in the dark. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's good. Uh, when, when, when you uh, look at holy scripture and um when you were going through your early formation where there's um what female characters really reached out to you where you're like that 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 that's my gal she 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 really represents and reflects the the power and the strength of god um um, or maybe not maybe it was a male a male figure but obviously i'm thinking about and and all the other women who are men who are listening right now who are maybe not as they want to know more about the female leaders in the bible um, where would you direct them to say, jump into this, jump into this book and read about blank? Oh, you mean directly into scripture? Yes. Because like, okay, so, um, golly. I mean, what's interesting is like, I was raised Episcopalian, which means I did not spend actually that much time with scripture. <laughs> hey, don't, don't say that out loud. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> Um, I spent a a lot of time in Sunday school. I love the stories. I always love the stories. Um, I mean, I've always loved Mary. I grew up in an Anglo-Catholic church, which means that it's an Episcopal church, but it has a lot of um, high liturgy, lots of incense and and bells and all of that stuff. And we always took Mary very seriously. Um, not, Not the same level as like where many Catholics put her, but seeing her as, I always saw her as a human who was someone who was, who knew who God was and was brave enough to do the right thing. And so if I were to direct someone in Christian scripture to, do you want to find out about women in scripture? I'd say, read the first two chapters of Luke. 
Like, that's amazing. You get, like, and then she sings about it, right? Because the Bible is a musical, as we all know. And um, so this thing happens to Mary. She knows it better than Gabriel the angel. And then she sings about it because she's awesome. So uh, I definitely say Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is filled with wonderful and powerful women. And then if you continue to Luke part two, you've got Acts. Uh, but an, another place, I mean, my name is Rebecca. Like, I go by Becky, but my name is Rebecca. And so I've always had a soft spot for that matriarch uh, because she makes up her own mind. And she she is, like, they, like, notice this in this story. Uh uh, Isaac's servant comes to uh, the well. He meets Rebecca. They talk about getting, he talks to Laban. And um, they actually ask Rebecca if she wants to go with that dude. Like, that doesn't happen. I can't think of anywhere else in scripture. Like, but they like ask her, do you want, like, they put her fate in her own hands. And she says, yes. And then she becomes the first generation, like, of, like, after Abraham and Sarah. Like she is the next matriarch. She's awesome. I love her. So I would also say Genesis is just filled with wonderful women. Also Miriam. Just, you can't forget Miriam in Exodus. So <laughs> that's right. Oh my God. Esther's so great. Like <laughs> they're so great. Ruth and Naomi. Oh man. <laughs> See, you guys all know where to go. You can hit up Becky's Zartman. We're going to put her, uh, her contact information in the show notes and she'll give you a recommendation of if you want to get your women in the Bible <laughs> a, going. A personally curated recommendation of, That's reading, right. of reading. Becky's that. list. <laughs> Becky's list. Uh, what were you going to say, Rabbi? Well, I think, I think you know, just significant, as, as, as you mentioned before, looking at some of our biblical characters, especially Rebecca, even if you juxtapose it with Hannah itself, you know, these are women where not only are they named, but their strength comes through, right? When we hear mm-hmm. about Rebecca and, of course, meeting Isaac, you know, the first thing that she does is she catapults off this camel not only does she offer water to isaac not to him to drink but for her but you know for his animals to drink because they must have been tired for all this long journey but then she immediately veils herself before isaac and says this is the man i'm going to marry that's (laughs) pretty direct look at hannah you know what's the matter with you Are, are you a drunkard you're sitting here on this on this altar on this bima and words are coming out of your mouth, but I hear nothing. And she comes back with saying, I long for a child. You don't give me one, God. I won't eat. I won't drink. I will harm myself. I will die. And I think that there's such strength and such um, just determination and fortitude. You know, that, you, know who, you know who that reminds me of? Every time you tell a story about your daughter, Rabbi, when she'll be like, Dad, I won't eat. <laughs> I won't sleep. I won't drink until you let me watch this Disney movie. I mean, that, that kind of, kind of fortitude. Does that remind you of, of your eldest? Sure. Although now she's saying, I won't do any of this until I meet father Anderson's son. Oh, boom. All right. Yeah, see? He's real committed. That's Aww. a cannon boom right there. That's a cannon boom. Uh, you know, uh, cannon Becky, have you, have you, uh, in, well, while you're out in the, and I know you're out in the field a lot and evangelizing and doing all the great things you do. Does this ever come up with, uh, with folks who are wrestling with scripture, or is it not really a big topic? Of, do, have you, in your ministry thus far, ever had w- w- women or men or whatever is being like, so what's up with uh, the uh, women in the Bible? Why don't we hear more about them? Oh, yeah. Is so that- the first time I really bumped into this in a really meaningful way in ministry was when I was a chaplain to Georgetown University. 
for the Episcopal Chapel at Georgetown University. And um, it was during Me Too. Mm. And my students, who wow. are mostly women, like, and I, like, all kinds of things happened that year. But, like, I would have, like, Catholic women come to me and be like, I need to talk to a priest. I cannot talk to a man about this. And so we would just sit down and have a conversation, right? Um, or, and then my students were like, like, well, there's all this stuff in scripture that's all this violence against women. Like, what can we learn? They wanted a Me Too Bible study, but there weren't resources on it. So uh, we worked together to create kind of a hermeneutic, which means a way of understanding, like, how do we interrogate the text, uh, which was really, really powerful. Like, we asked questions like, um, where are we socially located? Because if we're in a certain location, it's going to understand, like, it's going to change how we see what's going on, right? Uh, we might retell the story from the perspective of the woman. We might uh, go back to an old Sunday school godly play thing and use I wonder statements about the story. Um, and then we go through, like, different possibilities of interpretation. Or we might ask, like, how can this be modernized? Like, what would this look like today? Uh, like, and how would we be reacting to it? And so, like, bringing the scriptures to life and forward in time can be really helpful. Um, the other, so the other place I've bumped into it, which has been really amazing, is, like, I was assigned to do a women's only uh, Bible study. And at first I was like, what? Like, that's not, it has turned out to be the most wonderful thing in my entire ministry. <laughs> like, mm. like, because it's created a safe space for us to actually talk about things in a way, like without being interrupted by men, uh, to talk about our own experience. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I know, right? Like, what? What? Um, oh, my gosh. It's just been magical. And we've really wrestled with some difficult stuff in there. And that's been absolutely life-giving. But it's been the com reading the scriptures w within a community of women has changed how I read the scripture. Hmm. I mean, I think that the key in all this is that people, like, it goes back to to your Jacob reference. We're all going to struggle and wrestle with Holy Scripture, but we've all chosen and decided this is the Word of God. We haven't left it. We haven't ran away. We're in. We're in God, but we do struggle at times with the Word. Help me understand and give me wisdom. And sometimes you got to surround yourself with uh, women. Sometimes you get a co-ed. Sometimes you, we all come in different <laughs> ways for us to try to dig in. We, we get the scholarship. We look to the very smart people to learn more about it. We study the Greek. We study the Hebrew. Teach me, Lord, and speak to my heart upon the gospel that's written on my heart as well. But, there, but you're, the women you're talking about didn't say, you know what, Becky, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm just, I'm leaving this. No, they're, they're still drawn, but they're being honest. I think having that authenticity always with God, if we're, whether we're struggling with, with his, the word, whether we're struggling with his call upon our heart, whether we're struggling with like grief or sorrow, whatever it may be, we could be angry with him, but just keep on being in conversation with him. Even if you're angry, upset, you don't get it um, because answers will be revealed. So I'm assuming that you all found some, uh, a piece and more understanding with, with some of the groups you're with, with uh, those women who were struggling with like, what's, what's going on with all this uh, violence against women in the Bible? Did uh, you, no, was, sometimes we just sit there and we're like, well, that was freaking awful. Yeah. Like you just sit in it because there's nothing to say. Like, what do you say about a concubine that's been cut up into 12 pieces? Who's been raped to death and then cut up into 12 pieces. Sorry, we should put like content warnings on here. Like, but like that scripture though, it is raw. Yeah. Is that and first it Kings? is, 
it is violent sometimes. Yeah. No, that's that's and uh, so like and so like as women, like and so many women are survivors of sexual assault. Like if you haven't been um, outright assaulted, you've been catcalled or groped or otherwise, you know, just like there's just it's just like what we live in. And so we recognize that like the brilliant thing. One of the brilliant things about scripture is like it's in the ugly, like it's ugly, too, because life is ugly, but God is still there. But sometimes all there is is just this recognition that God is with us, even in this horribleness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Becky, so where, you know, I I know you're you're, you're a woman on the move, and I told you originally we're just keeping you for 10 minutes, we've kept you away over that. Um, (laughs) I'm sure there may be people who are going to want to engage with you more because we've just touched on the surface here. Um, how can people find more of you and, and, and engage with you? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Becky underscore Zartman, uh, which is probably the best way. I am also a co-editor of a book for college students, which asks the question, if you knew you were loved by God beyond all reason, who would you be and what would you do with your life? And so we go through some topics about like looking through the lens of that. And so that's written directly for college students and um, it's really wonderful. And I hope that folks will read it. Wait, hold up. Is that, I have to preach a sermon tomorrow. Tomorrow's graduation. No, it's on Sunday. It's graduation Sunday. So all of our graduates coming up from high school and we're blessing them and doing this big hoopla. That book. Yeah. Belovedness. It's the one you want, Christian. Download it on ebook and read it really quick and you will have a sermon prepackaged. Stop! You stop! Gosh, don't! It's it's me and boom. nine Catholics, a cannon boom, which is really right fun. <laughs> okay, what what's that title again for everyone to hear? Oh, oh, belovedness, finding God in self on campus, oh, and it's so me and my good. friend James Franklin, who is the chaplain at Wake Forest, and it's eight of our friends who are all experts in the area that they wrote on, which has been is- it's been a real gift. Oh my gosh. I know Alexis Stuckey is out there listening to this radio show right now. Alexis, she used to be the head of youth ministry over at St. Mary's. She's out there with uh, now Fellowship of Christian Athletes. This is the book. This is the book, Alexis. <laughs> Go out there and grab it. Uh, Becky Cannon, Reverend Becky, awesomeness, probably soon to be Dr. Becky. Um, we adore you. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for calling in and hanging out with us ragtag clergy guys. And um, God bless you in your ministry. And we'd love to have you back at some point to continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Christian. You know where to find me. <laughs> All right, Reverend. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye, friends. Bye, Becky. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's uh, well, at least I got a sermon out of that too, man. That, that's, 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 that's good. That just saved me like half a Friday. Um, it's, it, it's great. It's great that, that somebody else can do your homework for Sundays, two o'clock. I like it. Well, dude, I mean, come on. I mean, we're, we're always stealing from somewhere, you know. Even hey, man, as an actor, you're just stealing week, from All week writing my, 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 my speech on wisdom for our uh, Martin County baccalaureates on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, so if you want more of Rabbi, if you're a local person and you want more of Rabbi Durbin or even myself, uh, we'll be speaking at the baccalaureate, which is here. So the baccalaureate is more sort of like a, a religious ceremony for our high school graduates. So, that, you know, they're going through, I mean, and it's really important this year because... Unfortunately, they, they haven't gotten a lot of the normal hoopla. 
they've got, you know, our, our, our high school graduates, the, the hallways are empty. They didn't get to have all the fun senior tricks and all the great stuff that they normally do uh, because of the pandemic. So I think this back war will be um, special, very special and sacred because we'll all be in the room. I don't think people who are vaccinated don't have to wear masks. It'd be a whole different feel. And then you get Rabbi Durbin going in there preaching the bold word um, from it. So, uh, let's, so let's wrap this up here, guys, so we don't put you all to sleep. Uh, this scripture is, as Reverend Becky said, is messy. It can get messy. And now that we have the tools to really understand, like like Be like Reverend Becky said, that we can look at the original scrolls and be like, yeah, that was a spelling error. That was a mistake. Clearly the editor had messed up here. Um, we have two stories juxtaposed upon one another. And this story actually happened 300 years before that. So there's clear editors here. There's a human imprint. And we can say there might've been a human imprint with the stories that were told that you know some of the women just seem to be in the background. However, God always comes through and the women who do get uh, brought to the forefront are game changers. They're not- But I think as, as, as Reverend Becky had, had suggested too, when these women are named and the story is presented, they do incredible, miraculous things. Yes. Right? And I think that that's also the key. I mean, something that however basic that that concept may be, it is so complex. I mean, look at some of our characters. You know, we look at Dina, uh, obviously the one daughter of Jacob and, and, and 12 other brothers that she shared, right? We have stories of, of, of Rebecca, of, of Rachel and Leah and the matriarchs and certainly of your tradition. Um, you know, the, your the, tradition. You know, some of the women you that were infidels that were, that were named. You're but infidel I, women. But I think that what it does show and what it does highlight is that, you know, what we've done over the last almost hour is scratching the surface, yeah. right? And I think that this topic does actually demand and uh, require a lot more in depth. So maybe, I don't know, Father Anderson, I don't know if you're interested or would like the opportunity, but can we, uh, can we do a part two? Next yeah, week. part two. I think we need to get Rabbi Rose um, on here. That's important. And we have an author that's been recommended to us on Twitter. Uh, she has written a book just on this topic. It's very well received within the church. So we're going to see if we can get her. Um, our producer, 789, has tons of money, and he'll probably fly her out personally. And so that will be good. Um, so if you if you want a great producer, Evan Nine will be the man. So ladies and gentlemen, it has been another wonderful hour here at A Priest and a Rabbi. Please let us know about other show topics you want this priest and this rabbi to take on. We love having great guests. We always try to get people who are smarter than us uh, and definitely have better hair than us. Um, and that's not easy because if you've seen the head of hair on Rabbi Durbin, that is tough competition. Um, Rabbi Durbin, you have services tonight. Uh, we have services at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. If you want to go to Temple Beth Hayam, please go and check it out. And, uh, and please we check out Temple Beth Hayam next Friday, 6.30, when we welcome Reverend Anderson as our guest speaker. That is oh, next yeah. Friday, the 21st. I will be guest speaking, preaching, where no Gentiles ever gone before, to the pulpit of Temple Beth Hayam. That's not true. You've had other Gentiles in there preaching, right? All right, everyone, our producer saying you got to get done. We're out of here. God bless you. Check out the podcast. We'll see you next Friday here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Peace.